Everybody, 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 drop your box. Welcome back to Drop Your Buffs. I'm Sean Ross. I am Evan Ross Katz. And we are talking Survivor 43, Episode 9, What About the Big Girls? Evan, what did you think of this double tribal episode? Big, big flop. Big, big flop. <laughs> um, I can never I predict like... anymore. Oh, why? Because you thought I was going to be favorable? I thought you were going to like it. Well, I'll say this. I was really high on the last couple episodes, as you know, from, you know, us being a podcast co-hosts. And the consensus that I've seen online from a lot of, like, longtime viewers of the show, those whom who I trust their taste, is that, like, people really seem to not like this season. People seem to be really bored by this season. So then coming into this episode, I sort of had that perspective in mind and also just wondering, like, if it could keep up the momentum that I think it gained in these last three episodes. And I just thought this was so disappointing for a number of reasons, but namely just because of, I just wish they would just put two episodes into one. I didn't need the split tribe, that sort of format change up. I could have just done one hour where we go through two rounds of the game. Hmm. One thing that Big Brother does every season that I know people really look forward to is they do a double or sometimes triple eviction episode in which the game that usually takes a week to play out, a cycle, they just speed it up and they do it in 24 hours. And it's so exciting because you don't have the same amount of time to, you know, game things out, to strategize with people, to go off and and have these conversations. It would have been really fun to just speed up the game rather than do a split tribe situation. And I think as we saw with that second vote, it was just like, who cares? See, okay, I loathed, well, back when I was watching Big Brother, I loathed the, the double elimination episode. Like, I thought it was the I think least you would be interesting in the thing there. ever. Because it's just like Julie Chen being like, okay, now do this, now do this, now we're going to a challenge, now we're going to vote. It's just like, there's nothing, but there. I there's think... no drama. Okay, well, agree to disagree. But also, I think that, like, the wonkiness of it all, um, I don't know how long ago you watched it, but I think it's something they lean into now, which is that, like, you know, people are dropping their mic packs and people don't realize that, like, they need to, like, move. I don't know. I sort of like the that chaos. But if nothing else, it's just, like, you get a lot of really fast gameplay, whereas this was just two really slow tribals. Interesting. Okay, so I disagree. I thought this was like a really fun episode. Having said that, like, go back and check 4142. I'm not making this up, but I've always hated the double tribal, the split tribe, right? Like this splitting the tribe post merge. First of all, it's like, once again, we're supposed to be merged here. So why are we acting like we're not where the you know, this is not suddenly we have a tribe swap during the merge that I don't love. But I think that this season benefited from it in a way. I'm not sure that we would have taken out James if we didn't have this format. And like, I liked James. I thought he was an interesting character, but we needed that alliance to take a hit at the top. And like, thank God it wasn't Carla. But I just think that had had we done another week of normal gameplay, we might not have had this result. Um, And so I'm having to take the good with the bad in that I just don't think that splitting the tribe makes sense as part of the game. And I have my gripes about how it's done. I don't think that the second tribe should be allowed to see who got voted out in the first tribal. Uh, I think that that just like informs their gameplay way too much and gives them a huge advantage especially because they're getting the reward already. Like they got the peanut butter and jelly. So it's like they win two rewards essentially, which I think is just unfair. Yeah. And the point of splitting them up is so that they have to kind of like do things independently. And so by showing them the result of the first tribal, it defeats the purpose, right? So I have my gripes about that, but I thought it was like a pretty fun episode all in all. Like we, I don't know if the challenge was like exciting, but you know, Carla wins immunity. That's exciting to see. I'll watch that any day. And then I just thought 
seeing the fight between Owen and James, although it doesn't rank high in terms of like legendary survivor fights, we just don't get fights out in the open anymore. And it was really refreshing for me to see that. And there's like a little, you know, there's a little comedy embedded in that. And I felt like that was much needed in the new era of Survivor. I hear you, but like it was giving Tish School Tish School of the Arts because I just feel like the that papaya moment with Noel to me was like very, very scripted. I just didn't feel like there was any authenticity to that moment whatsoever. It felt very much like let's insert a moment of levity here amidst this. I feel like to your point about it not being an iconic fight, I needed that fight to be so much bigger than it was in order for Noel's moment, even if it was scripted, for that to land. Wow. Okay. I don't know. To me, it's just like, I don't know. I have these moments where I'm like, if this is the iconography that we're getting, I just think that's like, we've just how, how far we've fallen. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the point of our podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the thesis. <laughs> Okay, let's get into some of the specifics here because uh, we open with the fallout of the Janine boot. And I think there's some strange things going on, stranger things going on here because we have Owen like using this as ammo against James where he's sort of said like, well, James told me to vote for Ryan and much was made of this. And this is sort of like the seed that starts the fight that he's like, uh, you know, before tribal, I went to James and asked him who we're voting for. And he told me Ryan. And so I voted Ryan. But that's not true. Because as we find out, Gabler tells him right before tribal that they're actually voting for Janine. And so Owen did vote for Janine. And that second vote was from Cassidy. And we talked about that last week that Cassidy threw this out there. And uh, there is a secret scene from this week, uh, where Cassidy talked about how uh, she did say that it was Owen who voted for uh, Ryan. Yeah, it was Cassidy who voted for Ryan. She told them that it was Owen, uh, which is why this becomes believable then to everybody, because a lot of this didn't make sense. And I would have assumed that Cassidy let her alliance in on the fact that she was going to be voting for Ryan. Um, and that was to prevent any shot in the dark mishaps that may have gone off, which is what we speculated last week. But Owen really leans into this and is basically like, yeah, I cast that vote and I cast it because of you, James. And it felt like, it felt to me like he wanted to pick a fight with James and whether that was to like put a target on James's back. I don't know. Um, what did you make of this whole Owen, James, Ryan vote? I felt like Owen was trying to make television. I, I don't really? know, like that's how so much of this read to me because it wasn't like reckless enough to to like feel like it was authentic. It was sort of like, hey, I I don't I believe that Owen was authentically annoyed. Like I and I do believe that he feels like it was James that caused him to be on the wrong side of the vote. At the same time, Owen's smart enough to know that like. James is clearly playing the game and he played it and he played him. And I feel like the real Owen, I feel would appreciate that game move. And then in his mind, re-strategize, right? Moving forward. Again, we say this all the time, better the devil, you know. And I just feel like for Owen to like be so bun, I was gonna say bun hurt, bum hurt, right? It's bum hurt. Yeah. Bum I hurt. would say butt hurt. Butt hurt. I was gonna say something didn't sound right. I like bun hurt, bun hurt. Um, he has a bun sometimes, right, Owen? Yeah, he does, actually. Okay. He's bun hurt. For him to be so bun hurt about it, I just didn't, I didn't understand. So then yeah. it's like when we finally got that big confrontation to me, again, very Tish School of the Arts, just because it was, it didn't feel like he needed to do that. And the fact that they brought it back to the rest of the tribe for that scene, to me, just felt a little bit like theatrical. Well, the Baca alliance that remains is still so confusing to me because once again, we're starting an episode with Sammy going to his allies, seemingly allies, Gabler and Owen, and like apologizing for the vote. Like we've seen iterations of this ever since the tribes merged where Sammy's been like, hey, sorry that this happened. I know this wasn't like our ideal plan, but here's why it happened. And it's not gonna happen again. This is now, I think the third time that this has happened. And what's amazing to me is that Sammy's not getting any shit for it. I don't understand that. And like, maybe I have to hand it to Sammy for playing it well, but 
I don't know if he deserves all the credit for that or if the people around him just aren't like picking up on the fact that he's doing this. Something's not sitting right with me around this Sammy Baca dynamic. I just feel like it's poor storytelling because I don't understand their perspective. Anyone else, like, yes, to your point, it's like Sammy's clearly sort of playing everyone, um, which you could, you know, say is really good strategy, but we are fed the perspective that no one is on to that behavior, that yeah. everyone feels that they are authentically with Sammy and therefore no one would ever go after Sammy, um, which may in fact be the case, but I don't have clarity around where everyone else's head is at with regard to Sammy. You never get anyone else talking about Sammy in a confessional. Yeah, true. Yeah, you don't, now that I think about it. Like, so it's sort of like Sammy bad. leads the narrative. Yeah, it's just he's sort of, yeah. Similarly to like uh, Cody and Jesse right now, you don't get a lot of people talking yeah. about them too much. I feel like yeah. that's one thing I've noticed about this season is like you have these characters like Ellie, uh, who so many people are commenting on, or Gabler, who so many people are commenting on, and then you have players who just sort of don't really ever get spoken about at all. Yeah. Really, if people are commenting on people, we see it in the negative. So it's like Gabler's chaotic. Uh, right. Ellie's a mess or Ryan all he does is fish he sucks at strategy uh, so you're right we're not really seeing the perspective of like hey Cody and Jesse are like maybe a dangerous duo or you know what's going on with Carla's position like we really don't know what anybody thinks about Carla very true and also to the idea of Cody and Jesse I mean we've watched this show before like Two strongish men that are clearly linked up, they should be gone after uh, hastily. Uh, and so, yeah. again, sort of odd that it's like, is, is no one targeting these two? So that leads me to sort of think that there aren't really these this idea of like these this alliance and that alliance and this voting block, et cetera. I'm not so sure that like the lines in the sand are, are so clear. Yeah, I have because to again, agree. Had we not gotten that moment with Sammy being like, I really trust Carla, we would have had no idea Sammy and Carla had any connection. It's like, my point is, it just takes one confessional to completely shift the audience's paradigm about something because, you know, some player will come along and bring some new information to the table, like Sammy in that moment being like, I trust Carla's opinion means the most to me. And it's like, ha I had no idea. And then from there, we, the audience, are suddenly like, okay, they're a final two. You know what I mean? So... Sometimes you wonder in those moments how quickly we go down a new road, we as audience members, and then also you think about how many times if something like that was clipped out of the show, we'd have no idea that they have any alliance whatsoever. Yeah, what's going to be really interesting for me next week is to get Carla's perspective on the vote and on Sammy, because the fact that Sammy went to Carla and was like, hey, by the way, we're going to vote out your number one ally. Is that cool? Which like maybe they don't maybe they didn't realize James was Carla's number one ally. Maybe he actually wasn't at this point. If that's the case, we were never told that. But it just seemed like in that moment, oh, Sammy's like gonna put his foot in his mouth here and he's gonna blow up the plan and Carla's gonna save James somehow. Like that's where it seemed to be going. But the fact that Carla went along with it is like I I think we could come up with reasons as to why. But it's like Sammy specifically says to Carla, "Who do you trust more, James or me?" And it's like for him to put himself in that position is baffling to me because we have no idea. Like Jesse, I would understand. Jesse, we've seen that Jesse has a relationship with Carla. Like we've seen that play out. But I've seen not seen Sammy talk to Carla one-on-one -on -one before this moment. So why, what is going on in her mind that she's like, you know what? Yeah, it is better for me to like trust Sammy in this moment and move forward with him as opposed to James. Okay, so here's the part this leads to what I was going to ask you about later. So I don't understand something that played out and I have to believe that other people might be in the same boat as myself. And this relates to what you were talking about. Cause you just made a comment saying that had Carla, you said that she, she might have done something else with the information. And to my read of the show, Carla was backed into a corner. Sammy wasn't saying, what do you want to do? They had the votes. It's Sammy, Owen and Noel. They're good. Yeah, but they could so have it, done multiple things. 
Right. So why I don't understand this episode for a million reasons strategically, because I'm listening to, um, you know, I'm reading Dalton Ross, Entertainment Weekly's, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> chief survivor correspondent. And then I'm listening to know-it-alls and it's like, everyone is like either, oh my gosh, Noel, this like unprecedented move where she was like on the offense and on the defense, blah, blah, blah. And in my mind, I'm like, they had the three votes. I mean, now granted, Sammy could have flipped, and could have gone either way. But this whole use of, like, I don't understand Noelle's move whatsoever. It was so unnecessary. And then also, to me, it was like Sammy was doing a courtesy conversation to Carla, which is to say, we're about to make this move, but of the three people making the move, I, within that three, respect you enough that I'm gonna come to you ahead of time let you know about the move, you can either vote our way and have it be a 4-1, or you can keep your 3-2, but I want you to know that it's going to be a 3-2, and I'm the one that's going against you, essentially, for this vote. You know what I mean? Am I making any sense? Well, there's multiple things that could have happened here. What could have happened was Carla, being James's number one ally, tells James the plan. Yeah. James uses his knowledge as power to take noelle's steal a vote and use it against that group and ensure okay. that owen goes home with carla james and james's steal a vote uh votes which would make three out of five or and we have no idea what people know about this or but carla could use her hidden immunity idol to save james um sending home whoever they wanted and if like noelle suddenly is backstabbing them and they found out about that it could have been noelle going home they could have stuck with owen and so like carla and james were in a really good position to flip this and they didn't so are you saying to me that perhaps the reason why noelle wanted to make that move that flashy move was to ensure that james would not use his knowledge as power that's exactly why okay i just feel like it, I didn't get the impression that James was, like, shaky. Uh, no. No, neither did I. Because she had this but whole I think thing of, they like, just, I woke I think up they this were, morning. I think, I think they were being extra safe, knowing that he had the knowledge of power. What I don't fully get is why she couldn't have used the steal a vote on James. Like, they were too I was just gonna to say. do that. Um, because they didn't want to tip him off. But m maybe they genuinely don't know where the Coco Idol is. Like, that's a possibility. That's the, that's the one thing we don't know is what anybody knows about Carla's idol. There was a, a deleted scene from a few weeks ago where I think it was just post-merge where Carla went to Gabler and she told him basically that Lindsay had collected the beads and they were sent home with her. And so, like, is the idol out? And Gabler seemed to buy that, but, like, Meanwhile, everybody on Coco knows that Carla was collecting beads. So if the story about the bead idols got out, then the people at least on Coco know that Carla has that. And so if that's the case, then James could use his knowledge as power to take Carla's idol to save himself in a move of desperation if, uh, if Noel had taken his vote. But the reason for the move of like taking, taking her ally's vote to then cast the same vote her, that her ally would have cast is to make James feel safe enough to not use the knowledge's power on anything. I just think it's a little too, I, again, it might not have been show. necessary. Like they might've like they, they had Carla on board, but like it's a, it's a safety net. Right. I guess I just feel like with all of the strategizing happening, like I understand everything that you're saying and why things played out the way they did. And at the end of the day, it was a 3-2 vote that, sure, things could have come up, but there was a lot of, like, maneuvering happening on what I think was a rather uncomplicated scenario. I understand that there are things that could have played out, but again, James, if there's one observation I think we have can make about James, for, like, looking at his gameplay throughout the season, it's how even-keeled he is. I mean, there's two instances where tri-mates of his in the past were going crazy, and he pulled them aside to be like, take a deep breath, no one's going against you, blah, blah, blah. It just didn't, there wasn't the impression given that James was, like, in any place to, we never got a confessional being like, I might have to go and play my idol, or, like, I have a, you know, you never know in Survivor, things could blah, blah, blah. It's like, James seemed good to go. Yeah, if anything, I think James was overconfident. I think that's the story that we got about his gameplay, was that 
And we had, uh, I think it was Owen here with the Gabby Pascuzzi quote about the Godfather. Remember Gabby taking out Carl, calling him that he was calling all the shots and he's the Godfather. It felt very similar to that. Um, And so there's obviously some sentiment going around camp. And I think we saw it on screen that James felt a little bit untouchable. And so he might not have played his knowledge as power, but like any inkling he may have gotten and i feel like he should have gotten if he was a little bit more observant in the situation um or maybe he was just too trusting of his allies or who he perceived to be his allies uh but i feel like i feel like he could have been on the verge of playing the knowledge's power if noel didn't make this move and maybe it has to do with noel's perception as well or the perception of noel rather that like people don't see her as threatening people never saw this move coming despite the fact that everybody knew she had the steal of vote advantage um to then like pitch that to the person that she's going to get out that you know she's going to go along with their plan and here's why i'm doing the straightforward steal a vote of owen to then flip that and actually put it back on that al like supposed ally of her being James, I do think deserves credit. I think that move deserves credit. I think it was a really good move from Noel. And like, steal of votes are usually not a great tool, like, at least in my recollection. And so I think she turned it into like a pretty good move with kind of a shitty advantage. Yeah, but I just, again, don't understand the Owen versus James. Well, yeah, that's a, so that's a bigger deal is that I feel like I feel like Owen made a lot out of a situation that like there wasn't a lot to be made out of. And actually, I think when James tried to counter Owen's arguments, he's like, you voted for me twice. Like you voted against me twice. And that is way worse than me telling you to vote for Ryan last week before tribal. Like, what did you want me to do? Um, So I'm actually on James's side in this argument. I think that like he's coming from the right place where he's like, I owe you nothing. Could he have brought him in a little bit more? Yeah. But uh, I feel like if I were in James's shoes, I would also feel like I'm never going to trust this person. He obviously is really gunning for me and I owe him nothing. And I'm already in a majority alliance. I don't need him for anything. So like I get where James was coming from. Okay. Can we talk about We've really moved on with that team, but can we talk about the immunity challenge very quickly? Because uh, I I would be remiss to not comment on Jeff's new accent. Oh wow, yeah, they was disgusting. He was having, yeah, I I almost recorded the audio in that moment because it was like <laughs> it's almost like Jeff's chip malfunctions, and he's like, I can't just do things normally. He like has to, it again, going back to the Tisch school of the arts thing I started earlier. It's like, he feels like he has to make some sort of choice. And so it comes out with like him manipulating his voice in some way, uh, just because he's like, I need to add something here. It's like, he, he can't not make a choice. It's not even an accent. Like it's not even a recognizable accent. It's not an identifiable accent. It's like sort of British, sort of piratey. And uh, what he says is feast your eyes on what awaits you on day 17 of Survivor 43. So it's not even like a good, it's not even a good quote. Uh, I I didn't care for the accent, Jeff. Like, uh, I think he did this at the beginning of Winners at War actually as well. Um, So... I don't know if there is a new Survivor Man Jeff, the alter ego. Uh, I didn't see him looking at his feet, but maybe he did. And Survivor Man Jeff came out. You remember Survivor Man Jeff? Yeah, I wish I did. Yeah, um, unfortunately. Speaking of that, what was that Noel thing at the very end of the episode where she's like, good night, Jeff? <laughs> I just don't know why they included that. Like, you wanted it to, like, me- be- mean something, but it didn't. I almost felt like they included it because... Look, I think the show knows that the gameplay has been pretty straightforward this season. I think they were waiting for something to happen. I do think, like, whatever you think about it, I do think that getting James out uh, was a pretty big move. And I think that Noelle saw her steal a vote move as a big move. And I felt like her goodnight, Jeff, was like, you're welcome, Jeff. That's how I read it. No, I mean, I, I, that's, a, that's a fair read. 
I think something put me off to like that Noel confessional of like, I woke up this morning and I wanted to make a big move where it's like, I think you made a move in the game. Um, I'm not like comfortable calling this a big move. And my sense from, again, from what I'm hearing from people is they are receiving this as like a big blockbuster move. And if that is the case, I'm saying that like, I'm just not impressed by it. If that's where we're at right now in 43, we're like, this is how a big move is made. Like this is the fireworks. Um, it's giving, it's like Katy Perry for me. It's like, I'm just, I'm passing. I think the problem is it's a big move in the context of where right. we're at in Survivor. That's right. the problem. A big move in Survivor, more broadly speaking, would be for like Carla to idle James out. That would be a big move, right? To get rid of, to to actively decide it's time to cut my number one and I'm going to like use a tool to do it. That would be a big move. Noelle already comes from a different tribe. Like she doesn't, re- she's always kind of been working with the Bacas. I, I feel like they have to have seen that, that they're talking all the time. Uh, she was really close with Janine. And so like, for me, it's not unexpected from Noelle. Clearly James didn't expect it, but like, does it count as a big move in the canon of Survivor history? No. Does it count as a big move in Survivor 43? Yeah, it's probably the biggest one so far. Right. It's all about context. Okay, let's talk about the challenge. So, of course, they do split up into two teams of five. One of those teams we've talked a lot about. That was Owen, Sammy, Noel, Carla, and James. The other team was Cassidy, Jesse, Gabler, Ryan, and Cody. And it worked the same as it's worked in 41 and 42 where they do sort of like an endurance challenge. This one was like holding a bar that holds a ball against a thing. And last person standing for each team wins immunity. Last person standing overall wins PB&J for their team. So what do we think about PB&J as a reward? Um, very into it. But I don't understand why it was like presented like that. It was some like artisanal version of PB and J when it's like it's peanut butter and jelly. The whole conceit is that it's like the most simple combination of foods that exists. So I but didn't the understand the like. Nice. Okay, fine, but like ha- give them the pre-made <laughs> PB and Js. I didn't need like the jar of peanut butter and the jar of jelly. Um, but as rewards go, I would say that, like, if I were really hungry, um, I mean, obviously, yeah, like, steak and all that thing. But, like, when it comes to, like, simple foods, I would I would yeah. rank PB&J very, very high. Also, there's something about it that just, like, feels very survivory. I almost wish that, you know, we, we talk a lot about how the challenges are, like, same old, same old, and they need to switch up the challenges. I feel the opposite with the rewards, where I wish there were more signature rewards every season. Mm. Um, like, I think that they should have a Dorito reward in tribute to <laughs> Tina. Um, but I think, like, a PB&J reward every season would be a fun sort of, like, benchmark. Like, you've reached day 18. You know what day 18 is. Peanut butter and jelly. Yeah. I would like that. Yeah, I would like that, too. And I feel like PB&J... PB&J is a... Big Brother staple. Before they got slop, right? It was if you were whatever, the have-nots or the loser. I can't even remember how that worked. Wow, if you the lost Big Brother food, fan in you is like jumping out. <laughs> well, PB&J like is like, what, season 10 and prior on Big Brother. I, I felt like they Big adopted slop well. pretty early. Um, but I remember thinking like, I could survive on PB&J all summer. Like I actually, yeah. I wish that I was eating that. Well, and not for nothing, you're getting three really distinct flavors. And the great thing about PB&J is, like, at the end of the day, especially if you're starving on an island, you got bread. And, like, bread's going to take you far. And, and then you get protein the protein and, the and the, Exactly. The peanut butter. And then also the sugar and the and jelly. The yeah. Mm-hmm. Plus, I remember thinking on Big Brother, it's like, you've got breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Like, breakfast, you toast the bread, Right. You can put one or the other, like mix it up each breakfast, and then you got lunch, and you've got dinner, and you've got snack even. So, yeah, I like that. I like that idea. But I would say this just sort of like underlines what we've been saying all season was the sort of the lack of excitement from the cast around the reward. Again, underlines just the point that like you don't get the impression that these people are very hungry. Hmm. Somebody did make a comment about not having the rice uh, at when the tribe that lost the PB&J, and they had to go back to the... Oh, it was the tribe with the fight, right? It was Owen and Sammy and James. And um, 
I think Owen made some comment about, you know, we were like all disoriented and nobody had any food and we were starving, uh, which may very well be the case, but I assume they ate before the challenge. But yeah, I would I would love the PB&J. I thought it looked really nice on those big slices of bread. <laughs> I wonder if they get to keep the jars because if you rationed that out, like that's pretty good. Remember the peanut, the, the saga of peanut butter on the edge of extinction at Winners at War? That was that was a whole storyline. So I feel like that could go far. Okay, so from the challenge, I do have to point out one that that Jesse falls immediately. Jesse's out immediately, which you would think he would do better. But he did say, I think in the last episode, that he had a swollen hand. But you know who had a hand injury and won? Carla. And I was so happy that Carla won this because... Also in the deleted scene for this week, there's like an extended cut of her talking about her hand injury. And not only did she cut herself in that merge challenge, but she had to get a whole bunch of stitches. So she's got stitches in that finger that's wrapped up, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, we talked about the medical interventions and like, if it weren't for medical intervening on this one in the past, she would have been removed for this. I don't remember yeah, stitching and not people to- up. Not to discredit Carla's win, I just would have loved a win for Carla in when there were ten people in contention to win, um, and ultimately yeah. too because she didn't win the the final round, if you will. You know, um, I did. You know, the Twitter world in which I live in was like Queen Carla, like mother, like yeah, I can't, like me. our girl won, <laughs> blah blah blah. You, yeah, you were part of that, and I get it. I'm not taking that away. Um, but I think that like there's, I think there's a more epic version of this win that perhaps is coming uh, down the pike, uh, which I would look forward to. But I didn't think this was like a triumphant win for our hero. Not that everyone well, needs to be. When Carla wins, the world wins. That's how I see it. And uh, I did love the moment that we get the title of this episode from where Gabler is cheering on. I think there's four people left in the challenge and he's like, come on, big boys. Uh, and Carla says, well, what about the big girls? So, you know, Carla, Fergie, the big girls don't cry. They win. Okay. Yo, people can cry and win. That is true. Tears of joy. I actually like, I was don't love the message of big girls don't cry. I actually find it not anti-feminist, but like, I don't think it's a great perspective. Um, like it's emotionally stifling. It's yeah, like, well, like, you should be yeah, actually idea in that, tune like, with your emotions. Exactly. But also not right. just in tune, but like you can break down in tears. But you know what it reminds me of? There's a famous Project Runway quote. I think it's like from season one or season two or something. And the contestant whose name I can't remember in this moment says, you can cry, but you have to cry and cut which in reference to cutting fabric <laughs> and this is idea where it's like, you can cry all you want, but like you got to keep doing the challenge at hand. You got to work through things. So I think big girls don't cry. It's like more like big girls feel free to cry, but keep cutting. <laughs> Just not your finger, not your finger. Um, not a particularly compelling challenge. And what was funny is you get this like comment from Jeff at the beginning, which I thought was very leading where he was like, it seems very simple, um, but it's not or something. And it's like, I think that that should be something to consider when designing these challenges where if it seems very simple and, the majority, you know, we in the audience are not actually participating in said challenge. So perception is everything when it comes to a challenge. Uh, I would maybe deem that something to consider in whether or not this is entertaining television. <laughs> I don't mind this challenge. I think there's better See, versions of it. Yes, I do mind this challenge because I feel like once the ball shifts even the slightest yeah. bit, you're out. Whereas there's other versions of a challenge like this. Like for instance, I like the one when they can keep ramping up the rope. Do you right, know, it was from like two that, weeks yeah. ago or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which I like because it's like you can, or even thinking about uh, when they used to hang from the log and you can start to fall down the log, but then midway through the challenge, you right. can decide to just climb right, right back up to the top. Why don't we do that anymore? I miss that log. It's so good. Um, yeah. I bet you they don't do it because of the fear of people falling from the top and 
getting DQ'd. I mean, having to be medevaced. Because we've had a couple instances where it seemed it was a pretty dangerous fall. Yeah, Andrea had a big fall, but she was yeah. fine. But anyway, needless to say, that's an example of like, you can start to seem like it's going downhill and then you can resurrect yourself. Whereas this one, it's like, like I said, once it moves, you're done. So I just, I don't think there's a lot of variables to this challenge at all. Yeah, agreed. It's like, I wish that they would bring back the water bucket challenge, mm-hmm. where, you know, hold your hand above your head. Um, similar idea. And it's again, like you can, you there's opportunity to readjust here. There's like you say, no opportunity to readjust. So yeah. Like, I like an endurance challenge. It's just, as we've talked about before, these endurance challenges are designed to not last long. The endurance is short-lived. And so uh, I would like to see... I understand they don't want to be working for 12 hours, but, you know, you get paid. (laughs) I also just feel like in a situation where you're doing this sort of, like, two tribes of five, there's an opportunity for the challenge to be more face-off driven, um, you know, I, I think back upon the challenges of yesteryear when they used to be on the floating thing in the water and have to knock each other off. Um, you just want something where it's a little bit like they're fighting one another to survive versus right. fighting themselves. Right. Yeah. It's a missed opportunity to not make it. It doesn't have to be combat, but it can yeah, be. Yeah, not like... necessarily. I mean, I like combat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So Cody wins immunity for the other team. So it's Cody and Carla immune here. Great. They both already have hidden immunity idols. So they're double immune. Yeah. Let's pause for just a second. Um, Can we get a temperature check on Cody? I feel like Cody is just of the eight players we have left in the game. um, Is it fair? I mean, I, I, yeah, I know Cassidy's up there, but like, I feel like Cody is probably giving us the least, um, it's crazy because he was the star of the right, merge. Right. And, and also, when he I started don't... to disappear, I was like, he must be going home soon. And he hasn't. So he's just right. faded into the background. And they never give us, so it's only Cody and Jesse. We never get any of Cody with anybody else. We have no idea about Cody's relationships with anyone else. That's why this scene with Cassidy was sort of like, I didn't know if that was their first time ever speaking or if they were, as Cassidy said, like had started to form this bond. And I was like, when we say started, do we mean like earlier today? Like I just didn't get a sense of like where Cody stands in the tribe as a whole. And I think one of the larger conversations to maybe post more about later this season is discussing the, the edit this season overall. And I feel like on the one hand, I feel like we've gotten to know these 18 players really well. I feel like we've there's been a lot of shared screen time. There's a lot of pros to the edit this season. Within the cons, um, I think that an issue is around sort of understanding where people fit into the group at, at large. We get a lot of sort of like, who their alliances are, but I think there's something to be said about understanding people's overall feelings where it's like, I want to believe that everyone there loves Carla and like recognizes the greatness that we, the audience do, but I'm not sure if that's the case. It's hard to know who has a shot at winning right now because again, we really thought Gabler had an unfavorable edit. And then all of a sudden we see that challenge from a few weeks ago and it's like, oh, everyone loves Gabler. And that's the one. But then this week, it's like nothing from Gabler. And yeah. again, so I, I just don't really know how people feel about people on the whole. Yeah, totally agree. And another good example. So it's like you think about the people who are the front runners in in our minds, which I think would be Carla, Jesse. Is there anybody else? Like to me, Carla and Jesse are the front runners for the win. Well, yes, but it's interesting because it's like, I think you have to be a perceptive viewer to identify Jesse as such because Jesse's not making any flashy move so far outside of the reveal that he has the idol last week. But like, you know, he's not getting a ton of screen time. We're not getting his perspective too much. Um, but so it's Jesse been heavily Coco focused post merge. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, going before this episode, I would have said James. Um, yeah, but moving forward, yeah, it definitely seems like Carla or Jesse. And so I'm it's waiting for Jesse to like emerge. 
It's interesting that we, yeah, like you say, don't know how people feel about Jesse or Carla. We also don't know how anybody feels about Noelle because she's really interesting because she's been sort of like flitting between groups pretty seamlessly and, you know, start like still seems to have some trust in her Vessi allies, which she was out of that alliance from day one. And yet she still has their trust. She managed to get into Baca through her friendship with Janine. She's managed to maintain that with Owen Gabler and Sammy. And uh, clearly also has the ear of the Coco. So like, where do people see her fitting in? I don't know. Does anybody see her as their number one? I think Owen might, but Owen, so on the outs, does that not put Noel in a weird position with everybody else who seems, she seems to have a good relationship with? So there's like some really key players that I would be very interested to get commentary on from the other players. Yeah, and also just like, I'm not sure where I land with Noelle. There's a Sarah Lucina-like quality to her, <laughs> which makes me, like, weary of, like... I mean, obviously, I... Especially in a scenario where, you know, we came into this episode with seven men and three women remaining in the game. So it's like, I want to throw my betting dollars uh, behind those three women. And Noelle definitely seems like a strong player in this game. Um but I am weary to love her because there's just some, I get the impression that like she would have bullied me in high school. To be clear, <laughs> to be clear, you love Sarah Lucina. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I do. I just feel like- um, And she would have bullied you in high school. She'd bully you today. She would, but I'd appreciate it. Um, oh. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, I don't really know a ton about Noelle as a human being. I don't have yeah. any idea, like, what would make Noelle laugh. I don't know. Like, is Noelle, does she have any gay friends? Does she have a lot of gay friends? Like, I just have a lot of questions about <laughs> who Noelle is outside of this game. Yeah, I, I would like to know that, too. I think it's it's hard to tell. I... You know, I've taken, I've taken a look at her Instagram, and it's hard to tell because she treats it very professionally, which a lot of these players tend to do. Yeah, and so I it's have hard to, to say, get a sense of their personalities. Yeah, I'm not loving the <clears throat> 43 cast on social media. Um, with that in mind, I'm not loving the 42 or 41 cast particularly <laughs> either. But I feel like one thing that this show. We, I think we've talked in the past about the difference between Survivor Twitter and Big Brother Twitter. Uh -huh. And I just feel like the Big Brother players, like, and I think they have the advantage of being able to um, get in the mess a little bit more because there's the live feeds and, and you know, different shows. But I feel like the show does not, the, just the following counts of the players and there's just, they've not really cracked the code of like finding people that are great at social. It's interesting because it's like, we talk about the casting a lot, and uh, the casting, I'm pretty sure, does take a look through the social media. Uh-huh. And I don't think that it's playing a big enough factor in the casting process. And I almost think we've also talked about how I think recruiting would, might be a good thing for yeah, Survivor. And it doesn't mean you have to bring people who don't know what Survivor is. You can find people on social media that talk or interact or post about survivor and i think there are some like really funny people and really interesting people so a great example is lydia right from 42 she's got great social media she's funny and it's like you know i know that she got cast through like an unconventional means which was meeting jeff probst at a party but like um that's the kind of person if she was i don't know if she was tweeting about survivor before she was on it or not but like if she was like, that's the kind of person you want to find, I think. It, and granted, that didn't translate to the screen. I don't know who to blame for that. But, like, I think there are plenty of people in that space who would be really good Survivor characters that you could find through social media. So it's like, let's start at the social media. And if they can thrive there, and if they're funny there, and they have a presence there, doesn't mean they're always going to have a presence outside, off the screen, off the the phone screen, I mean, but it's a good place to start. Right. I think, and I think it could really help drive viewership up if they were able mm -hmm. to tap into people that have, I mean, not for nothing. It's like 
like like a Michael Yerger type, where it's like it doesn't have to be that they are, um, you know, they they don't have to be an influencer per se. They can just be someone that I guess with a following. Not a great example, but in that sense. But (laughs) I want to caveat by saying. I'm not looking for your Drea type social media following yeah. um, where it's like robotics. Like I'm looking for, not robotics, I mean robotics <laughs> in terms of the followers the are followers. robots. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm looking for people like, but to your point, it's like, yes, Lydia is a great example of such an outlier in that she's like a fun person to follow and not just for survivor stuff, right? I feel like that's yeah. the other key to this too is it's like, sure, being a super fan is fine, but people that just like, are out and about with opinions in this world about it, what what have you. It can be anything. Like, it can be someone that's even commenting on sports. I mean, not that I'm, like, over-eager for that, but, like, <laughs> but, but I just think people that are online a bit more, I think it would be really fun. Yeah. I mean, also, too, just in terms of if we want to return to themed seasons, like, a Survivor colon influencers would be epic. Or, like, influencers versus Luddites. Hmm. You know? I want, no matter what, I want just a versus season coming up. Yeah, we need a verse. I mean, we need a lot of things, but I guess too, a- like I just, I, I feel that, um, you know how we're doing like our little check-ins with like where where people are feeling? Mm-hmm. It, I definitely did notice people are- Yeah, weren't you supposed to crunch some numbers for this episode? I'm going to crunch some numbers. It's, <laughs> it's on my to-do list and I, I will be reporting back on that because it's important. Um, but I feel like- uh, 43 is chugging along. I think that it's my perception that 43 is the least well-received of all of the new era seasons. And I don't know if it deserves that because I'm starting to have a lot of fun with it. Is it a, is it a, is it a top 20 or 30 season of Survivor? Maybe not. But I'm having fun with it, which is important. There was a time I wasn't having fun with it. I don't know how I feel about it yet because it's like I, I am not. I'm trying to remember the fact that I was really high on those last few episodes. Yeah. But I also remember leaving last week's episode feeling like there were so many places to go, and the fact that it like didn't do that at all. I guess it's just like I felt like there was. I so totally many- disagree. It so did that. It so did that this episode. Granted, the format wasn't great for where it went, but like we've completely upended what happened. Like we completely upended the power structure, which was that Coco was the majority tribe going into the merge. They stayed the majority tribe, and now they're down to two people left. I just don't now think the, the tr- playing field is wide open. I guess I don't think that the, tr- the uh, not mine. <clears throat> I just don't think that people were that um, beholden to their tribes. I feel like the Cocos were. It's like you made that like point. Everybody, like it was like Baca's know. going to Coco. Vessi's going to Coco. Both of them are trying to get the Cocos working with them because they were a big voting block. Now mm-hmm. they're two people. But again, I think that that can be an advantage for them. Well, I, yes, absolutely it can. Right, but, but you're saying that like, that wasn't by, by choice. It's a different advantage than they had before. Yeah. 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 Oh, also, I just want to say, too, like, someone on the podcast made a comment about how, like, uh, <laughs> Cody has such an interesting strategy in wanting to bring people that he likes forward in the game. That is, like, I think is that what most... He said? Did yeah, he say yeah. that? Who? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has a whole conversation when he's speaking to Cassidy on the beach. He talks about the fact that he is more interested in working with people that he actually likes. And I just and and then he got credit on this podcast for like that being like really a, a like interesting and creative approach to the game. I would say that ninety five ninety five percent of people playing this game, especially in the modern sense, are going to have that same thing in mind where they are keen to take people that they like being around for like what what's the alternative people that you don't like that you know you can beat sure but i just thought that that was like cody's him saying that as though that was some sort of like new strategy to bring in like i know this is odd but the people i like i want to bring i want to keep them around it's like okay cody well i i do have something to say about cody because well we've barely talked about the the red team the winning teams tribal and yeah it was like a little bit straightforward or not just their tribal but their whole round of sort of like strategy and tribal and it's that 
I was really worried about Cassidy because everything that we got was telling us that Cassidy was going home, including getting her backstory. Um, and then her saying, you know, everybody, I have never been on the wrong side of a vote. Everybody who has come for me has gone home. And I was like, well, they're really setting her up. Like, this is this is her grand farewell. Like, we're getting rid of the third to last girl. This is going to be so sad. And uh, and even the Jesse and Cody have this conversation about what they're going to do if they see either James on the jury or Owen on the jury. And they specifically say, if we see James on the jury, then that's our opening to take out Cassidy. We completely like leave Carla without her allies, then we can use her. She's a safer person to work with. Um, and they don't do that. But I was very worried. Like, were you worried for Cassidy here? Do you feel differently about Cassidy after this episode at all? I don't feel differently about her. Um, I will say, I hope this doesn't come off insensitive, but as soon as they cut to her package, I literally said to myself, someone is either sick or died. And sure enough, someone died. Um, I feel like it's a prerequisite in Modern Survivor, I mean, we talk about people's trauma stories, but like as soon as it cut this time, I was like, I was, I wasn't gonna go for dead sibling. That that um, wasn't where I was going, but I was like, okay, this this all computes again. Not to be insensitive, uh, but no, I, I have yet. I am I'm not yet connecting with Cassidy on this show. Um, in in uh, in the sense that I don't have feelings about her negative or positive, though I want her in the game. To your point, was I worried about her once we got the package? No, because I felt like it would have been so obvious. And I guess to the producer's credit a little bit, they it's one of those moments where it's like, okay, they either are doing it because she's going home or they're doing it because they think that by doing it, we're gonna think she's going home. And it can go either way with them, the producers. So I didn't, I wasn't immediately worried about her. That said... Had she gone home and not Ryan, I think either scenario was not good television. Do you think that Jesse and Cody made a mistake by not sending Cassidy home? Mm, no. Like, I mean, for me, I feel like I feel like Ryan posed no threat whatsoever. Like, I yeah. love him. He's hot. He's getting fish. But, like, he's bringing nothing to the table when it comes to strategy. Yeah, I mean, well, also, too, I would have been very curious. I don't think they made a wrong move. I can see that making the alternative move, but I also think that they're in a really good position either way. But perhaps, mm. yes, knowing that Cassidy has James and Carla, um, and obviously they would have gone into the vote not knowing that James was going home, like when originally strategizing, it would probably make more sense for them to take out Cassidy and make a hit at that audience, at that alliance. Also, not for nothing, it's funny that like we got all this talk of this seven-person alliance several weeks ago, and then it was never discussed again. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess this. I mean, like, well, it didn't I mean it they've didn't... all just been going after each other? There's no loyalty to that seven at all. No, well, that's that's not that's not true because they they took Janine out. Right. So that was, so they, so what was. But that, I guess to me, read more as just like, that to me wasn't like a let's stay seven strong. That was more of the vote landed on Janine. I could be wrong, but okay. So fair, but but that compute, but that's right. Okay. But then then this week it's like, what could they do? They were broken up. And I feel like this particular format of breaking Well, they were broken up, but they could go for Owen. Yeah. But Owen and Noel flipped that. So I think, like, this seems to me like the natural time that a seven can't move forward. Like, seven is too big of a number to move forward together. So, like, something had to break down. And we needed it, I think. We need to see what, when they come back together, what that, you know, next layer of the onion looks like, who's in that. Um, I suspect it's going to be, like, Cody, Carla, Jesse, Cassidy, maybe. But we'll see. Okay, can we talk about tribal councils very quickly because there's a couple things I want to bring up. One is that in the first tribal council, the fight between James and Owen is rehashed and Jeff is in stitches. This is like a perfect example of, it's a great case study to contrast with old Jeff because old Jeff would hear about a fight if you think back to like, let's say Pearl Islands. 
And Old Jeff would hear about a fight and it would become like a serious discussion point where here he's like, oh my God, LOL, I can't believe you guys had a disagreement. How crazy. And so there's no real like exploration into it because Jeff's just like laughing it off. And I'm sorry, but the face and the expressions, like they're just not working for me. Something I can't even laugh with him because I feel like I'm... I feel like I'm watching an animal at the zoo. Like I'm watching something otherworldly attempt to laugh. So I also feel like Noel's comment about like too much testosterone or whatever didn't work in this context because it's like, yes, this is a show where often we have like these awful men, blah, blah, blah. Owen and James are two of the better men (laughs) that we have seen on the show, not just this season, but in the canon of Survivor. This fight was not about, like we've had many fights where it's like literally just two blowhards going at it. This was not an example of that. And also the fight they were having had nothing to do with sort of like wanting to be the alpha male. They were fighting about something very real. So I just feel like that comment didn't work in this context at all. Mm. I like it as like a pull quote to like remove from the moment. But again, going back to the Noel with the papaya and then her bringing it up again at Tribal, it just felt a little bit like, okay, everyone's trying to deliver television. (laughs) Because it's like the fact that she wanted to point out that moment, I thought was like weird. Right. Because it, because yeah, I see. Because she was like, I gave you that meme earlier. Yeah, because when you're watching, it's like, oh, LOL, she's trying to diffuse the situation with this like papaya thing. And that's just like something that happened. But then to have the consciousness at tribal to bring it up as a funny moment shows another sort of like layer of what was actually going on. Yeah. Interesting read, like probably an unpopular opinion. I can see where you're coming from. I agree it needed did not need to get brought up at Tribal, but I did like the moment during the fight. Like, I did think yeah. it added something. It just felt like we were rehashing a fight just so Jeff could be clued in on it, which is funny because in thinking about our Borneo recaps, which we're doing right now on Patreon, for those of us that are not uh, Patreon members, get on that. But one of the things that's interesting is Jeff is fed information in the Tribal Council by producers to be able to bring up things that took place while he wasn't there. Whereas in this iteration of the show, Jeff is still in the same way tipped off to these things, but makes them replay it in front of him versus just being like, you two had a big fight earlier. Let's talk about it in a way that moves us forward. Whereas this version of Jeff is like, you two had a big fight earlier. Tell me about it. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't know if there's anything else really to talk about at Tribal Council, except that I thought... James's exit was like a little bitter Betty. Um, didn't think that looked great, but okay, understood. And then when the next team comes in to vote out their person who happens to be Ryan, again, it's like an anticlimactic one. It, I wish that the tribals were reversed Swapped, so yeah. that we had the explosive one or like the surprise ending or whatever it was, this this execution of this move. Uh, as you know, the, the note we're going off on because poor Ryan, I don't think anybody's going to remember his exit. Um, but I have to say that Ryan said that he had 30 pounds of clams in his bag that he was going to be sent home with, which like the smell alone at tribal, like I almost feel like that's a reason to vote him out. 30 pounds of clam. I have no more to say about that. Uh, But that one is uh, very simple. Ryan is unanimously voted out. He, of course, voted his, uh, cast his vote for Cassidy. So this was really an episode about, I think, Coco cannibalizing themselves because, you know, Carla could have stopped the James vote. Um, Cassidy and Ryan didn't have to go for each other. I thought it was interesting. Nobody decided to, like, go for Jesse. I guess it's his relationships, but it just seems like nobody's recognizing the threat. Again, we don't know because we're not hearing people talk about these people. So uh, I'll be very curious to see what happens next week, but I thought it was an okay episode. Okay, we did get some voicemails, but we're running really short on time. So I'm not going to get to them, but thank you for sending them. For more content, 
As Evan said, check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash drop your buffs, where we are continuing our Survivor Borneo rewatch, which we are now at the merge and looking forward to watching the Alliance sort of pagong the pagongs and then self-implode in the spectacular way that they did uh, with Sue and Kelly's relationship devolving. Can't wait for that. Also, make sure you're following us on Instagram at Drop Your Buffs Pod, where this week you will be commenting what under our Instagram post? Hmm. Oh, I wish there was a clam emoji. Well, let's think. Oh, um, we should do the peanut, um, inspired by the peanut mm. butter and jelly reward. Is there not a peanut and butter and jelly sandwich? No, I wish. <laughs> You're right. There's not. Okay. Peanut it is. I love that. And then I'll do the math. I'm going to yeah. be coming at you soon where I'm going to break down the math of where people stand. We'll, we'll find out where everybody was on Survivor 43 two weeks previously next week. So <laughs> that'll be an important piece of uh, analysis for where the audience is at. And we do have merch. And guess what? We sold our first piece of merch, even oh, though wow. I never announced that the merch was for sale. Uh, so so uh, it's not impossible to find. It seems to have worked. My big concern was, does this work? Um, but it seems to have worked. So uh, I'm not like really going to do a big, big push right now because I still get nervous about it. But our merch link is in our link tree on our social media. Wait, what do you get nervous about? Well, just that like the whole thing doesn't work because it's a little complicated with like Shopify takes the order and then it goes to our printer and then the printer sends it out and the the money has to cross like it's a little it's kind of complicated, but I think it's I think it worked. I think everything went off smoothly. So we have some uh, basic Drop Your Buffs logos designs available now and we're working on more designs that will be like we want to have fun survivor wear that like we would actually want to wear not like the stuff you find on the survivor cbs store um like cool stuff okay so look forward to that thank you so much for listening see you next week bye bye